Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard, the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I am not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal of the podcast is to talk to esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to learn how esports can create jobs and maybe inspire others to do just that. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. And here in season two, we're talking to experts in sponsorship, investment, and more to show how to generate revenue for your esports business. It takes money to create jobs. We call this season, Follow the Money. Today, I'm honored to have Dave Harris from Australia. He's the managing director at Guinevere Capital. We're going to hear where that name came from in a minute. He's also an investor and former chairman at Excel Esports and a founding partner at League of Legends Circuit Oceana. Hey, show, show us your headphones there. Yeah, this is the LEC, LEC headphones. So for a, a 10 million franchise fee, you get a great set of uh, Logitech headsets. So you, you, we uh, you, you appreciate sponsor really, support over there. You sound really good. So they're working. Excellent, so uh, excellent. So uh, welcome, Dave. Good to be here. So where are you speaking from? I'm in Sydney, Australia at the moment. I'm, I'm usually perpetually jet lagged. I spend a lot of time over in Europe and a little bit of time in the US. But um, yeah, it's great to be back in Sydney at the moment and uh, spending most of the month here. Got it. Got it. Now, you have a really good background for our season two in talking about investment in particular in esports. But we kind of want to start out what got you interested in gaming and esports in particular? Um, it probably shows my age. I, I made a play by email game. When I was at university, we got about ten thousand signups, made about fifty thousand dollars, which was which was big money back then. Um, but yeah, that was sort of the the, the mid to late nineties, War of Wizards, it was called. Um, and, and then I sort of had a break from gaming and and, and tech. I was actually um, in traditional sports. Uh, I had um, worked in international cricket, Premier League football, um, initially in sports medicine. Did the um, the NBA at Oxford, moved into uh, sports business. Um, a bit of consulting at Boston Consulting Group, a bit of sport and entertainment consulting, um, and then my last real job in inverted commas, I was a general manager at National Rugby League, which is one of the big uh, sports codes in Australia. But um, I left in 2016 to start Guinevere Capital, a sports investment business, um, and then yeah, that's just when esports was probably really starting to hit, take off, particularly in this region. Um, so um, yeah, brought, brought together two loves of um, of gaming and, and sports, which I. When I first started out, I probably didn't see see converging. So, so Guinevere was your first esports job. Your first yes. E-sports? So, so Guinevere was actually going to be a a sports investment uh, firm. We we're going to buy a few uh, big traditional sports teams in Australia. Um, one of them being the Newcastle Knights, and the joke was Lady Guinevere chasing knights um, 
it's the the name Guinevere oh, came yeah, through. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no one could spell it or say it, so I, I kind of regret it, but at least it stands out. So, um, yeah, we'll go buy some traditional sports teams and then just bought a, a, an eSports team as a bit of a side project, basically. Um, just saw what was happening everywhere else in the world and didn't think Australia and New Zealand were going to go on a different tangent. So um, we, we pivoted all in an eSports, which was a bit of a late a leap of faith back in 2016. Um, but, yeah, proved a, a fairly shrewd move of valuations of um, Australian traditional sports teams have gone nowhere near as um, far as uh, as esports. So yeah, we were the sort of the first movers back then, and there's, there's definitely been a, a first mover advantage. You've gone the right places in esports over the years. Do you do you see a lot of uh, correlation, a lot of similarity between traditional sport and esports? I do, and it's a bit controversial because yeah, I think some people have pivoted too hard in the traditional sports model. I think someone people would point at some of the Activision Blizzard franchises, et cetera, where they've gone too far down the um, traditional sports model. But I, I think the underlying business model is is the same. Um, you, you've got five sort of revenue streams. You've got uh, broadcast and sort of data rights. You've got sponsorship. You've got merchandise, um, not just physical merchandise, hoodies, but digital in-game merchandise. Um, you've got sort of membership subscriptions, and, and then you've got sort of game day and prize money. So, yeah, at a high level, the mix is slightly different. But uh, you can think about it in, in very similar terms. So you are you are our first guest from Australia on the podcast, and I'm just curious what's what's esports like in Australia these days. Is it growing as fast as it is elsewhere? Uh, yeah, it's on a on a, a sharp growth trajectory. But I always say different regions are very different stages of the esports journey. Um, Korea's been going for a very long time, um, and we've probably done well being early movers in some of the regions that are a little bit behind. Um, so Australia New Zealand being one of them where we're certainly not as advanced as um, any of the Asian countries. Um, and even in, in UK where we've involved, Europe is huge for esports, but UK was a little bit behind. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, Australia and New Zealand are earlier in the journey. Um, and, yeah, we've had incredible growth and it's been a, a great journey. But um, we, we are subscale and we are quite isolated on this side of the world. So you've got to build fit-for-purpose model, and uh, I think it goes for uh, every region out there. You just need knowledge, you're not China. But we don't have the same sort of venture capital going in as US, so you, you need to build something to, to the geography you're in. Even though esports is global, um, when it comes to the local stuff, um, there are nuances. So are, a lot of times when we talk to people, particularly in Africa, there's issues with ping rates, with where the servers are. Now, Australia, they you have your own servers, in the country, right? So there's not an issue there. Yeah. Well, again, we're lucky that we do actually have reasonable ping, uh, depending where you are. There's servers in Sydney. Um, one of the challenges on the global scale, which is, again, better than, than Africa, but we're, we're really isolated here, so we can only sort of play against our own our own sort of um, region, which is a, a very small player base, whereas if you're in Japan, you can play against Korea. If you're Latin America, you can play against on the, on the NA servers. So, um, yeah, one of our challenges has always been our geographical isolation, and it's not a it's not a technical problem; it's a speed of light problem. We're we're just too far away from the the main service to be able to scrim and, and play. So, I, I think a lot of our early success with our teams was we actually sent them over to Korea to boot camp and train and play with the best, um, which obviously cost money, but that that really gave them a gave them a buff. And it also happened with Excel Esports this year when uh, between splits they went to Korea to to really try and play on those better servers. So. Yeah, our infrastructure's not too bad. Um, it depends where you are in Australia, but um, in Sydney um, and, and Melbourne, it's fairly good, which is where most of our population is. But 
yeah, you're stuck amongst a small player base playing against each other. And you also have the issue with the time time of day. It's like <laughs> it's like yes. you know in Australia, it's it's like it really is the other side of the world from Europe. That's yeah. right, and I appreciate one of you's up early, one of you's up late. But yeah, when you're trying to coordinate between sort of the uh, the, the European African time zone and the North American time zone, someone always gets a short straw. Yes, yes, it was Reginald t- today, so he's, he's up early. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about investment in a little bit more detail about Guinevere Capital. So is Guinevere is it a, a VC? Is it venture capital? I, I never know how to. To, to uh describe us because uh, we're very operational we're very hands-on so we are building our own portfolio uh, but we do invest in um do invest in a lot of uh, companies through, through to early stage stuff um some of them we sort of roll in um sort of make a synergistic portfolio without using too much jargon um and some of them we just sort of take strategic stakes in um to try and potentially um roll in later once once they, they hit certain scale so um at, at the moment we're actually um going through a process of reverse listing a lot of our projects onto London Stock Exchange, which will um, help us consolidate it. And then we'll be a listed, a listed company with a, a, a number of projects uh, within it. Um, the big one outside of that is Excel Esports, where we were sort of the, the early original investor, but that's had a lot of private equity money coming now. Um, so we're down to minority um, stakeholder status in that. But yeah, we've had a lot of sort of big London City money and private equity money coming in that portfolio. So um yeah, so long story short, I don't, I don't uh, throw tags we've, around. We've uh, but VC is probably uh, uh, the, the level we invest at. But um, yeah, we're, we're not technically a venture capital company with our model. Yeah, because one of the reasons that we want to talk to you, we want to talk to people around the world to kind of get a feel for what the industry is like. A lot of the people that we're talking to that we're um, that we have in our audience, they're interested in f- finding out how to get investors, but knowing the ecosystem knowing the how things work and how things work in maybe in australia versus us versus africa it's like it's it's always a learning curve that way so we always like to talk about yeah different i think the structure no matter what 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 investment you look at if you look at the levels there's seed capital which is sort of like your friends and family round um, or angel investors where um yeah they'll write those really small checks to get up and running and approve the concept and 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 because that's where most Esports came from back in the day before there was all these big numbers thrown around. Um, and then the, the challenge is to get there from there to that next, that, that next level. And, and that's where the VCs have been coming in. Um, particularly sort of like 2016, 2017, there was a lot of VC interest. Um, uh, and, and then the challenge is to get from VC up to that scale where, um, private equity comes in, which is that, that next level up. Um, and then beyond that, potentially sort of listing on an exchange, um, uh, around the world, um, and it's not always sequentially like that. But they're the steps, um, and, and we do a lot of early stage stuff. Um, we try to do less now, but the challenge is it's very hard to get from the, that early stage through to the sort of where the bigger bigger um, checks being written. And that's why, um, yeah, we operate trying to bridge that. We're now sort of at the, at the larger end trying to list stuff, but um, we do a lot of work trying to bring through some of the early stage projects to be relevant at, at that level. Are most of your investments in Australia? Uh, a lot in Australia, New Zealand, and, and, and Europe. Um, so Australia, New Zealand is where we started. Um, Europe we see as a much larger scale market. Um, I, I lived over there 10 years. I've got dual citizenship with a rich passport. Um, and, yes, yeah, so, as I said, it was slightly less developed, which we, we saw as a big a big opportunity. So, um, yeah, sort of 
ANZ and, and Europe is where we where we span. Uh, the US is just so much um, capital being invested in their own backyard. It's um, yeah, it's oversaturated in our view, so it's um, not, not something we want to want to charge in. Um, China is its own beast. Um, Southeast Asia, we have a lot of conversations over there, and that's probably sort of a, a potential expansion area for us. Um, Latin America is tough to operate from the outside. Um, you, you don't really have this sort of volatile market. Um, uh, I'll run through the entire world here. Uh, Middle East, I think, is a huge, um, huge uh, growth market, and there's a lot of investment actually from that region going in at the moment. Um, I, I think India is uh, another growth market, but similar to Southeast Asia, is going to be more mobile focused. Um, and, and then you've got Africa, which uh, is probably one of those stages. That those countries are a lot earlier on the journey as well. Um, has potentially look at the population, but yeah, it also has its challenges with infrastructure, etc. Do you do much investment in mobile organizations? No, but there's a huge opportunity there. But um, yeah, to date, we haven't. Um, and yeah, there's a degree of snobbery as well between sort of the the PC gaming and the mobile gaming. But yeah, I, I think people just underestimate um, how large that market is, uh, particularly in the developing um, regions, which Southeast Asia, Africa, India, etc. Um, is probably going to be the primary um, the, the primary mode. Um, we do a lot of stuff like we had a big uh, stadium tournament at Melbourne Park where they have the Australian Open tennis a couple of weekends ago. Uh, I think part of it is actually working out how to um, how to deliver it um, because um, yeah, the, I, I, they have done some things cool things previously with Honor of Kings and Clash of Clans etc. With, with, with the stage, but um, yeah, when you're trying to make a, a cool production, um, it's just a little bit easier with PC gaming than, than mobile gaming and. Um, yeah, just PCs are bigger in the, the more developed markets, which is where we've been focused. But um, I'm not saying we always will be. So most of your investments, are they uh, with teams, with um, tournament organizers, with venues, content creators, or all the above? Uh, yeah, a little bit of everything. So um, we, we started with teams. That was an easy uh, sort of natural entry point for a lot of people and entrepreneurs. Um, and for myself, with, with the sports model, it sort of made sense. But I think our model is actually sort of working, staying close with publishers, um, and working closely with the publishers who are who are the kingmakers in this um, sector. Yes. And I, I think it's always dangerous when people are doing some really cool third party stuff, but the, the the access to the API or the or the IP can be yoinked at, at any stage. Um, obviously, there's some publishers like Valve are a bit a bit more hands off. Yeah, we've worked really closely with Riot Games um, to a lesser extent, Activision Blizzard, but um, we've become that sort of trusted partner and safe set of hands. So. Um, they gave us the rights to run the league in this entire region, Oceana, uh, for League of Legends, um, in, in conjunction with ESL. Um, we were, I'm also involved in some tech plays, which is probably the part you didn't mention mention there. But um, I'm on the board of Skybox. Um, we're, we're doing some really cool stuff working with publishers, taking data of APIs to, to rebuild maps, which can be used in the broadcast and for, for training tools. So, um, yeah, we're, we, we sort of operate across the ecosystem in Australia and New Zealand. We're, we're more... At a league level, just because of the scale, um, but with Excel and and um, other regions with larger regions, then we're probably more at the franchise team level. But outside of that, we our biggest focus is actually on infrastructure, tech, um, support services. So we have another number of agencies um, and tech plays, which are probably the long term are going to be the, the the bigger pieces. Yeah, yeah, hey, I do. In this conversation, I'm not sure if, if, I, if I ever ask you questions, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a little uh, inside information. Just just feel free to 
dance around it. And uh, so. Uh, no worries. I do it all the time. But yeah, I'm generally pretty transparent, but anything's going to get me in real trouble, you know, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can always take things out too, but, but those are the most important, uh, important parts. Can you talk a little bit about the investment process itself? Can you kind of uh, walk us through how it, how it works? What, what's the, uh, the investor looking for? What's the invest, uh, investee working for? And especially about the time frame, because I think a lot of people are unclear about how long does this take to, to work? Yeah. So I think I, I spend a lot of time with people and I always try to help entrepreneurs through, like, we make very few investments, to be honest. And, and like, that's probably true across the board, but we're always trying to help people coming through the system. Um, so I, I think the first thing is actually networking is actually getting to know, know important people, uh, using the term important, important for what you're trying to achieve, not necessarily, uh, um, important in, in the world. But, um, yeah, I, I think early conversations and actually, um, speaking to people who've been on the journey that does help a lot. Um, I, I can sort of, yeah, I can sort of talk about it, but, um, yeah, if you're coming in for investor, an investor pitch, you, you really want to have got a lot of feedback on what you're, what you talk about. And some investors are pretty, pretty laid back and just happy to, happy to help. But, um, sometimes you only get one shot. So, uh, I think doing a lot of, uh, a lot of preparation before you're actually having the conversation, uh, is the key, um, and networking. Um, then to actually have the conversation, um, introductions make it so, so, so much easier. Um, uh, Everyone's sort of LinkedIn stalking and just shooting at random decks. But, um, yeah, if you can get a, a warm introduction and, and uh, as I said, framing it as an up and coming entrepreneur, love to pick your brains on, on this is, is often a better way to do it rather than, you know, I have $200,000. So, um, yeah, I, I, and that, that sort of goes back into the network process. But, um, to actually be taken seriously though, you need to have a deck. And, uh, I, I worked at Boston Consulting Group. I was a slide monkey for a long time, churning out a lot of decks. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's, it's really important to be taken seriously. Um, the, the, like the, the front few pages of the decks are, are generally all the same. It's sort of a bunch of new, new stats and how big the industry is. But yeah, then getting into the meat of it of actually what um, what makes your proposition different and, and actually sort of mapping out where you're trying to go. Um, I think lots of people are always um, scared to put projections in and all that sort of stuff because – they may be wrong and people pick them apart, but you, you need to have something to have a, a conversation around. So just really being concise about what the problem is that you're trying to solve um, and um, how it's going to make money to return some value to the investors who are, who are putting capital in is, is probably sort of the, the, uh, the simplest way of putting it. So I think it's a matter of yeah, getting a conversation, getting a deck, and then a lot of it's just right place, right time. There's lots of people in different cycles or in different conversations or uh, focusing on different sectors so um, yeah there, there is a degree of luck involved but um, yeah sometimes you'll, you'll come across someone who has dry powder to deploy um, project you talk about it's really well with some other stuff they're doing um, and yeah, it, it can be a it can be quite a big process but I, I think that my advice to everyone is um, everything takes longer than you, you plan uh, and just make sure you've got plenty of runway don't get yourself wedged um, and you just see it happen time and again everyone thinks it's going to be easy and i think my other advice is because people are so friendly and so happy to happy to help and and that, that they sometimes give a false positive where um yeah, they're not even smiling and and being really receptive and encouraging but realistically that they're, they're not going to write a check um so sometimes yeah like no is actually the second best answer it's great if they say yes uh, but a clear no is also good to um 
to uh, yeah don't don't string yourself along. And yeah, I think that's something I've learned over the over the years where you feel like you're almost there with someone, but you're actually not even close. Yeah, yeah. It's so important to to value their time, but also to value your time on on how much you're going to spend on on something. How important is it that um, to get an investor interested? How important is it that you're making money starting out? Uh, it makes it a lot easier if you are, particularly in the current environment. I'd say twelve months ago, the answer would have been quite different. Um, unfortunately, the world's uh, taking a bit of a turn for the worse recently. Maybe it's a, a needed correction, but um, yeah, a, a great idea with a hockey stick graph used to be enough to sometimes get you some significant money. Now, um, yeah, I, I think the time frame of to profitability or, or, or break even sustainability has shortened. So, if you're actually generating revenue, it makes it a, a lot easier. I um, mean, in, in the current environment. So um, whether or not you're actually making money, you, you need a solid plan on how you're going to make money. Um, just getting reach and work it out on the fly, we'll, we'll sort it out later, be that work for Uber and Facebook. But um, if you're a small-scale um, small scale, uh, company, um, early in the journey, uh, I think a clear path to um, sustainability and then profitability is, is key because, uh, as I was saying before, it's about runway. And if, if I'm thinking I'm going to give you Hundred thousand dollars is going to be gone in twelve months. If you can't raise again, then um, it's my money gone as well. So, um, yeah, it, it makes it a lot easier if you've got a, if you're already making money. Um, if you're not, then just have a clear plan to sustainability. Yeah, yeah, just having that that system in place where money is actually coming in the door. I mean, just uh, just that, that that first money, no matter what it is, makes a huge difference in uh, in all kinds of things. Do you find that? A lot of investors are really investing in the founders more than the concept. Yeah, yep, um, very much so. Uh, and I, I just see it time and time again. And people ask, "What's the most uh, important um, important uh, attribute for a founder?" And I'll, I'll always say grit because it's such a sexy space. It sounds so good, but it's it's bloody hard work, and it's there's always a lot of knocks along the way. It's always a lot harder. It takes a lot longer than planned. So um, I think one is you need to be uh, convinced they're in there for the, for the long haul. Um, and, and there's plenty of studies to show that one of the, um, the best indicators of future um, performance when it comes to entrepreneurs, different to other investments, is actually past results. So if you've had some wins previously, you're more likely to be getting them again. So um, having that track record, which is which is tough when you're just starting out. But, um, yeah, I, I think investors like to double down on, on proven people. But, um, yeah, I, I think... You really are going to struggle even if you've got a great idea if the um if investors don't believe in you or back yeah you get, uh, if you're the, if you're looking for the investment you've got to be so excited that you get the uh the investor excited about what it is that you're doing and if you, if that doesn't happen uh you're probably in for a world of hurt down the road um yeah, I think pa- passion is is really important, but sometimes overrated because yeah, sometimes if, if you're passionate, make sure yeah, buy a ticket, be a fan. Um, it can sometimes blind you all, all the hype and the sexiness, but yeah, you, you need to be passionate about what you're doing. But yeah, there needs to be more than that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, you need to get out to get people excited. Uh, but I always say, uh, make sure you're not buying the hype while you're selling it. You, you need to have that solid uh, that solid base underneath and and know that yeah, yeah there's a grind as well. Yes, uh, yeah. We were talking to Christian Bishop from Twitch the other day on yeah. um, on monetization, and he was and he kept using the word grind. 
And he said, they said, because we're talking about how do you get sponsors? He goes, grind, grind. It's just like, that's, that, that's what it is. And if, if you're just not, like hunting the hogs at the start of World, World of Warcraft, you, you, there is a grind is brought into the games and it's, uh, yeah, it's very much part of the, uh, the industry for all the, uh, the sexy moments. There's, uh, any fun sexy one. Yes. Yes. You know, with, with Guinevere Capital or other, other organizations, but maybe with you in particular, when you make investments, what else do you do other than just write a check? Because there's, there must be some kind of, uh, you know, un- ongoing business relationship. I mean, you want them to succeed. And, and so what usually are you doing after, after you write the check? Yeah. So us in particular, we're, we're really hands on. So yeah, we're, we're certainly not write checks and, uh, and, and walk away. And I, I think most people in this space will, will always talk. They'll, they'll frame it as we want to add value beyond just money. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's true. Um, so. Uh, a lot of them will be, um, yeah, after board seats or whatever, which, um, is usually, even if it's not a board seat order or deserve a status. But with, with us, we, like, uh, we don't get caught up on board meetings. We're, we're even more cold faced than that. So, um, yeah, we'll be sort of working side by side with the entrepreneur. And, um, there's even sort of a, a, a mentorship type, type role as part of that. And, um, I said a lot of our portfolio is about, is about synergy. So, um, We've got agency or tech resources in part of our um, part of our portfolio. We, we, we look to try and get them working with other projects and and collaborating. So, um, yeah, I spend a lot of time um, chatting strategy with people. Um, but yeah, so we, we want people who are, are receptive. Like we're not going to be uh, overbearing and uh, trying to micromanage. But at the same time, we're we're very want to be very involved in projects. And yeah, the reason we put put um, money in is because we believe in it and. Um, yeah, and the vision for where it's going. So yeah, we're really uh, really hands on and trying to help make that happen. Is there any particular area that you find um, that founders are 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 the least prepared for? That you know, are they are there certain areas that's like, man, we we're, we always have to provide this for people, and you just kind of build that in. Uh, yeah, money. <laughs> I think money and time. As, as I said earlier on, uh, people always underestimate. How long it's going to take and and how hard it is. Um, there's always a race to glasses, and you're you're looking at those uh those big success stories out there. But just like for every Tom Cruise, there's a thousand people waiting tables in Hollywood. There's a uh, yeah, for every every uh, massive success story, there's a uh, the other end of the spectrum. So um, yeah, we always just yeah, give them a reality check, make sure you've got more runway than you think you need, more capital than you think you need, um, and just don't get yourself wedged because yeah. Um, do you, but, and esports are probably worse than most, as far as uh, yeah, you, you get labelled a shyster as soon as you're slightly late on a payment or a uh, yeah, a, a sketchy organ or whatever. Um, it, it, it's tough, um, and it, it's it's not even your bad plan or your planning or your fault all of the time. Like even some of the biggest brands in the world, um, it'll be late on payments. But there's yeah, I, I think cash flow issues are the ones that really cause the most stress in an industry. Um, and yeah, yeah, the, the, the best plan in the world, there's always those X factors, whether it's black swan events like a pandemic or, um, yeah, you, you think one of the biggest tech companies in the world could afford to pay on time, but they've got other priorities. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's just building in plenty of buffer is, is the, the, um, yeah, the advice we keep telling people. And, uh, yeah, we see people being caught out on fairly regularly. Yes. I've, I've worked in the PC business way back when. <laughs> It was all just, man, people had no idea how close we were to, uh, not making, uh, uh, 
making the payments that we needed to stay in business. It was like closer than you would have thought. Are there some businesses that just aren't some businesses in esports that just aren't really set up for investment? Uh, or, or, or just, yeah, it's, it's I, I, I think it's yeah, what you, I, I think there are, there's community stuff, which again is what it's almost separating out the CSR from the, 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 the um, yeah, the, the hardcore investment. I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of things that probably aren't going to be profitable or, or return a good ROI, but that doesn't mean resources shouldn't go into them. Um, so yeah, a lot of the more community focused stuff, and I, I think it's one of the, the problems is you see franchises now with yeah, eight figure, even nine figure price tags, and, and everyone thinks that's the way you need to do it. It's, it's not necessarily you need to do it. You can build a really cool organization with, without a lot of investment. And as soon as you take investment, the pressure is on you from those investors to start doing stuff that's going to make money. And that may not actually be what you want to do or what the best thing is for your, your organization. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's really think about what you're trying to achieve at the start, and um, yeah, um, the path to making the most money may be a different path to what you really the vision you had for the organisation at the start. So uh, I think you need to have some uh, frank conversations with the people you're potentially going to be working with, and um, and also think about it yourself. Well, yeah, where do you want this to go? Because yeah, making money is not always doing the uh, the things you want to be doing. Yeah, I think everyone thinks that uh, it's like. Um... Once it, once you get the check, once it, once you get the yes, then it's all smooth sailing. From yeah, that's when, the, that's when the pressure really comes on. You, you, you have to get a return on that money. Everyone thinks you gets funded and you made it. Um, whereas that's when the hardware starts. No, it's always, it's always been fascinating to me because people that are really good at getting investment may not be the people that are really good at running a company. It's like, it, it, it's, it's like a different set of skills to, to do those. So it, I'm always, really amazed when people are able to raise the money and then run the business well um, at the same time. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's like you've, you've got to really be talented to make that work, I think. That's right. And it always is focused because we're always raising money with one hand while we're handing out with the other. And yeah, I, I'd, I'd much prefer to be running businesses. That's the thing I'm passionate about. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, the, the biggest value add at the moment a lot of the time is actually just going out and finding those big checks. Uh, um, yeah, it's a balance for all founders, sort of yeah, trying to raise while actually trying to keep your eye on the ball and, and, and running a sustainable business. Yes, yes. So um, one of the things is just more for my education than anything else. Would you have a portfolio of companies there that you're putting money into? Is there ever any synergy between them? Do you try to get this company to work with this company? Do you, do you put people together, organizations like that at all? Yeah, that's a, that's our whole philosophy, really. So, um, yeah, every acquisition we make either needs to fit with some of the existing companies or, or, or fit with a, a future theme we've got where we can see things coming together. So, um, yeah, the idea is one plus one is going to equal more than two with, with everything we bring into the into the portfolio. So, yeah, that, that's, that's very much our thesis. And um, yeah, I, I always try and get um, staff from across the portfolio to work together. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't work. <laughs> you need to match the personalities a lot of the time, and you do have a lot of headstrong founders sometimes. But yeah, I, I think ideally, um, yeah, people, resources across that portfolio will, um, yeah, collaborate and, and, and sort of uh, create additional value. No, because I've always thought that, like, if you're an esports team, an esports organization that needs sponsors, it's like if there are other, other companies that need customers, it's like, hey, look over here. 
you know, if it's the right, if it's the right fit, if it's the right market. So how long were you at BCG? A couple of years. Um, so I was, I was in Europe for 11 years and I came back. I was actually the first external recruit into the Perth office um, back in 2011 to 2013. So we had a mining boom on at that stage. So, um, yeah, everyone at BCG just gets dropped to sectors that they know nothing about. But, yeah, I was all of a sudden telling uh, some of the Australia's biggest companies where they should be building mines and infrastructure and uh, <laughs> mapping out oil and gas uh, economics across the world and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's an amazing experience. Just, um, I, I love being the dumbest person in the room. because you, you, you learn so much and there's just a lot of really, really smart people there. And, um, yeah, sometimes you learn, learn best through pain. It was uh, very long hours and at high pressure, but it, it was a fantastic experience. And a lot, a lot of the people I work with today are, are all sort of from that era, ex-BCG ex or ex-management consultants. Because, um, yeah, we we, uh, we bonded and uh, I enjoy working with sort of smart, passionate people. It, was that after uh, you went to business school? Yeah, I did the MBA at Oxford. So um, I, I did a couple of startups in between, but, yeah, then, then came back into, um, yeah, consulting. Do you think people that go through an MBA program these days uh, – that that is any kind of uh, – there's some um, things you learn there that you can take into esports? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I think MBAs oversell themselves because yeah, that, that obviously is a business for them as well. So um, they say you get an MBA from a good school, your, your life is made. That's not probably the case, but, um, yeah, it's a great experience. Um, that's that's they, exactly what they told us at Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I think – it's great, particularly if you're coming out of a sort of a, a, a more technical. Like I, I, I trained as a physiotherapist originally, so um, it's good to give you sort of a broad knowledge. And I, I didn't even know what the terms like NPV and IRR meant. Um, because I'm probably not sitting, sitting down a, a spreadsheet calculating these days, but yeah, at least you, you know the lingo. So it, it lets you learn enough of a lot of a lot of things to make a difference. Um, it's nice. It's a nice stamp on your on your CV, but it's, it's also the network and alumni network for. Oxford or Stanford, it's a, it's a great um yeah it's a great group to have so um yeah it was fantastic for me um but yeah I, I think you want to do do it for the right reasons um don't just do it just as a checkbox um it, it's a lot of work and you're taking yourself out of out of the game for a bit to, to focus on it so um yeah make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and yeah it's part of a broader strategy. Yes, yeah. When I went, everyone was going to uh, everyone was going to investment banking. And a couple of years ago, I was talking to the people at Stanford. They're like, no, everyone's going into uh, startups. I yeah. mean, it's just that's that's, well, we, that's we everyone's had, goal. Yeah. We, we probably had the most successful startups out of our year because uh, Lehman Brothers went down the first week of my MBA. Um, so I did 2008, 2009. I, I always remember I was sitting, sitting, sitting next to a girl from Lehman Brothers, and she was the only happy person in the room because uh, they, they, they'd prepaid her MBA, but she had to work there three years afterwards. And uh, yeah, she, she, she was off the hook, but um, yeah, it was fascinating. The only person re- on earth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, they were rewriting the courses we went through, but yeah, there was, there was no jobs out the other side of it. So yeah, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that came out, but it's great to see. Like I don't even heard of Cedars, there, um, a, a crowdfunding platform. Um, yeah, that that came out of it. They, they exited the other day. There's been a yeah a lot of great entrepreneurs come out of um of that era, and they said the same thing happened in the dot com boom before. That's where where Facebook came out of, and now they're saying out of this recession, the pandemic, that, that there's a theory that, that the next wave of innovation and entrepreneurs will come out of this by necessity because the, the consulting and the investment banking jobs just aren't there. Yes, yes, I think I think there's something to that. Now, was Excel Esports the biggest um, deal that, that you've done 
or one of the biggest deals yeah. that you've done through Guinevere? Uh, yeah, well, it's, the beauty of it, it wasn't back when we did it, but now it's by far the uh, the, the biggest asset because um, we, we we bought it well before the LEC days. So, um, yeah, we, we were happy to run it as a as a UK um, entity, sort of as a, a sort of a uh, a lower tier organi- local organisation, um, but we we knew that LEC franchising was on the horizon. So um, yeah, so we, we we obviously working with the founders there, the two brothers um, put together a proposal, and then um, we were lucky enough to have some fantastic sort of big private equity backers who were prepared to come in if um, if Excel got that license. So um, yeah, it was actually a very small investment at the start, but um, yeah, has grown to a huge one. Um, as I said, we've been diluted down um, significantly along that journey, but um, I, I don't think that the actual valuations have ever been revealed. But um, yeah, it was the sun was, or the Sky News was talking about it being close to 100 million and um, raising 20 million uh, last year. So um, and I think it's a good case study too by uh, getting some good partners and investors on early. They can then the next round attract a lot of big money from the city and some great investors and brands. So um, yeah, Excel's been a Amazing journey. I sort of I did a lot of hard yards early on as chairman. I, was, I, th- I think when we got in the LEC, there was only sort of three employees, uh, me being one of them. So um, now they've got fifty plus, and yeah, I'm very much a, a passive guy, giving a, a little bit of advice here and there. Uh, but yeah, early on, it was a uh, it was tough work to get up and running because we got in into the LEC late November, and like we had, we were supposed to be playing uh, mid January, so I had to get in time performance stuff facilities um, in Berlin. We're based in the UK. Um, yeah, it was a it was a bumpy ride those first couple of years, but um, still a lot of work to be done. But it's, it's come a long way, and um, obviously the valuations reflected that. I, I think we've done some great work at Excel, but even the LEC slots um, themselves that they were worth ten million uh, for the first ten that got in. Um, one change hands when Schalke had to exit twenty eight and a half million, and then there's talk of forty million plus was a lot. What the last one went out valuation wise, so. Um, yeah, you, you position yourself in the right place. There's this huge capital appreciation just on the uh, yeah, the underlying franchise assets themselves, um, no matter what you do on top. What I, keep, what I keep hearing you talking about, which I think is really interesting, is that, that the, the role of the publishers in all of this, because we were talking uh, earlier on about traditional sports. Traditional sports isn't set up the same way. I mean, no one owns football. No one owns baseball here in the U.S. No one owns basketball. Uh, but, but the, the owners that own the, um, the IP there, I, I mean, it just seems like that, that's got to make it. One of the things I keep hearing you talk about is you're talking about the publishers and the publishers have such a big role to play, but it sounds like you're on top of that. Yeah. I, I think it's key to understand that there's key stakeholders and, um, the balance of power is probably shifting slightly where, um, uh, so some of the stronger esports teams uh, are, are almost endorsing new games by with their involvement. But yeah, they are key stakeholders, as you say. It's very different to um, traditional sports in that in that sense. Um, but they're not all the same. So I, I think Riot's probably at one end of the spectrum where they're very vertically integrated and hands on. But then you've got Valve making some great games. Who um, yeah, sort of Darkman in the background. You've got no idea. Um, uh, who's behind the games a lot of the time, um, and that gives a lot more opportunities for the third parties to do stuff. Um, and there's a lot more grey areas probably in their ecosystem where, um, yeah, with, with someone like Riot Games, is, is very black and white what you what you can and can't do with their IP. So um, they're, they're, they're different models, and I think you need to um, yeah understand the ecosystem you're playing in and, and who you're playing with, and 
sometimes you need to keep really close to the publishers and sometimes um, it's a bit more of a free-for-all, which gives you more freedom, uh, but there's, there's other risks associated. So now when you're talking about Excel Esports, you're saying that it was started by two brothers. One of the things we always like to talk about here is how things started out. Because in our, in our audience, you know, we have people that are thinking, yo, I want to go start this. I want to go start this. And the founding stories of some of the really, you know, successful organizations out there could, could, um, can be really interesting to people. But you said it started by two brothers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great story. Um, so when we first came to UK, I, I was, I knew a few of the right games guys. I was asking around who, who were the best founders and up and coming. And, and they pointed to yeah, these two brothers. Um, actually there was another set of brothers. There's two, two teams, two different sets of brothers. Um, but, uh, we, we were actually, we'd met them a few times and then we were over there for, we boot camping before 2018, um, MSI, which is in Berlin with a team I'd qualified with at the time. So yeah, spent a bit of time with the brothers and, um, yeah, just, just really clicked. Um, they, they, their story, you can look it up online. They, they, they found it in a pub in, uh, in a university. One of them was actually had a real job. One was finished his degree and they, they decided they wanted to, um, uh, start an esports team. And then, yeah, they managed to, Again, this is back in the good old days. It was much easier print out some t-shirts and and sort of chip a little bit of money to get a team to a, a cod land. And um, yeah, they, they, they were just the loudest, most passionate at the time, and it just got momentum there. But yeah, there's all these great stories of back in the day, sort of starting a Twitter account and um, a uh, printing printing a few t-shirts and uh, yeah, entering a team and winning your way up. And then before you know it, you've got a got an esports org. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic story. But yeah, on the flip side, I think. Too many people get caught up in that rags to riches mystique. Where these, these days, it's a you, you can still do it, but it's a completely different game. You, you, you're not going to start a G two from scratch um, over, overnight anymore. It's just a huge first mover advantage and huge amounts of capital that've been put into certain organisations now. That's very hard to very hard to reel in. Um, but yeah, no, the Excel story the, with the brothers is fantastic. The, the home starbies, um, but it's probably a great lesson as well because um, those two aren't actually. Um, involved in the organization anymore they were they were part of the journey and um Diables as well one of the other ones i, I originally um was invested in the, the founders are no longer part of that as well um and it goes along the lines of what you're saying sometimes founding and 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 so starting in um an organization are, are very different from scaling a, an organization that's worth eight or nine figures it's it's sort of um a, a different um the different parts of the journey, but like if you look at Kieran, though he's done fantastically well. He now works for Formula E, um, an area sort of yeah, again another sort of high growth industry. He's gallivanting around the world doing events. He, he's having a fantastic time, and and um and Joel's in in, in cybersecurity now, etc. He was um yeah, ex sort of big four firm, so yeah, that, that's sort of more his more his passion. So um yeah, it was an amazing story of Excel where it came from to where it is today, um. And then, yeah, it's a lot of different people are part of that journey. That's, that's really, yeah, it's always interesting to hear how the, those things work out. I was always, I've always been amazed when I worked at Netflix starting out, the same guys who started Netflix are still running it today. And it's just like to be able to take it. I mean, <laughs> when I was there, it was really, really small. And, it, but it's the same guys for the most part that are running it today. So they, you know, they were able to do, to make that transition in, in a, in a really big way. Now, you've done a lot of, uh, uh, international travel. You said you're talking about going to the Middle East and so on. What's what's going on in the Middle East? Would you say in uh, in esports in uh, in particular? Did you go to Next World? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Which is um, yeah, it's slightly controversial. Um, there, there was a lot of people there. Who's who's the industry? But um, not a lot of people were tweeting about it. But 
Um, I, I really wanted to go and, and have a look and meet the people, um, meet the people involved. Um, so yeah, I, I think like even in Dubai, there's been a, a huge amount of um, investment. You know, I've sat down with Paul Roy, the the, the Galaxy guys. Um, but yeah, Next World Forum. Um, yeah, I, I think my takeaway is that they're not messing around. <laughs> they're, they're serious. Uh, it's uh, they're uh, yeah. Just the, the investment in the, in the in the forum itself, everything else. We're, we're um, going to quote you on that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, and like you see, you see it everywhere in, in, in traditional sports as well. Um, that, that I've heard they're making fifty billion a month profit out of the, out of Armaco, that the oil companies. So it, it, they're re- redeploying it into future facing industries, and um, yeah, like they're, they're talking there. They've got twelve pillars. Um, gaming and esports is one of them. It's probably one of the smallest pillars, but they say the statistics are it's the fastest growing pillar so um so yeah th- th- there's obviously some controversy around the region and th- they've tried to um sponsor some things and and th- there's been some um controversy um in lec with it with the neom uh, sponsorship but um i, I think my t- i always want to see things from my own eyes i i was lucky enough to speak to prince faisal directly um and they, they, they were a lot of these guys are western educated um uh, schools universities incredibly articulate he stood up the start, talked to his vision of um, uh, esports and gaming taking taking Saudi in the region to the, into the future, and that's both economically and uh, and progressing in other ways. So, um, I uh, yeah, I, I found it incredibly incredibly interesting. Um, the numbers they're talking are just off the charts, and they've, we're partnered with the, the league we run in Oceania uh, with, with the ESL. They they bought out ESL and face it for. 1.5 billion. Um, they're, yeah, they're, um, yeah, they've invested heavily in a lot of the publishers. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people don't realize behind the scenes how much money is actually flowing into the publishers. Um, and they'll stand up and say directly, like, China is probably proving it with Tencent and Alibaba, like, like heavily investing in this sector is, is paying massive dividends and, and they're, they're trying to go down a, go down a similar path. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a fascinating time there. And there, as I said, there was a lot of people from, all over the world there, um, esports world there that I hadn't seen for a while. It was actually good to get together with people. Um, yeah, fascinating. There's, yeah, I, you know, speaking to some of the locals, like you walk outside, it's 45 degrees and, um, yeah, it's a tough existence. It's definitely 45 degrees yeah, yeah. Ce- uh, Celsius, yeah, which, uh, yeah, or centigrade, which is very high in Fahrenheit. That's hey, a the, lot the hotter than ever gets in Australia. The only reason I know how much that is, is I was at the Sydney Zoo one day and it was 40 degrees and we were dying. So I can't yeah. imagine what 45 <laughs> must be like. It was hot. It was hot. So, yeah. So long story short, um, there's a huge amount of investment coming out of this region and like not just um, Riyadh, Saudi. Um, I, I think there's a bit of competition actually between Saudi, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, and, and this isn't just in, in esports and gaming. This is just one of many sectors that they're, they're investing heavily in. Um, I, I think the publishers are really keen on the space because the ARPU is, is off the charts. They, they invest... Um, or more, every user is investing a hell of a lot more than um, in, in other regions. Um, and particularly like a, a whale I've heard from some publishers uh, in, in the MENA region or in Middle Eastern region is just off the charts compared to the spend from, from some other regions. So I, I think there's a, a huge return from publishers um, investing in the, in the region and um, getting servers um, in that region is, is big for the development of the region. Um, and I, I think they have a, a genuine... Um, a genuine philosophy of um, using esports to and gaming to to, to develop um, 
develop the, the whole country and the, and the ecosystem there. Um, the uh, yeah, Saudi's only seventy years old. Um, so if you look at where uh, Australia was after seventy years, um, they've got a long way to go. But I, I think there's, they've made a lot of progress on some fronts too. So it sounds like but, um, I, I'm very careful talking about it because uh, yeah, you see some other people on social media get torn apart from it. I've, I've, I'm trying to be very neutral and centrist, I guess. No, because we 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 don't talk politics here, just because we, just because we don't do it. But we also have to be aware that politics impacts uh, everything and esports in particular, especially you know in, on an international scale like that. You know, we just try to avoid any any kind of controversy. There's enough other places for people to do that. But I know exactly what. Uh, what you're talking about. There's a lot of interest here in the U S on what's going on over there, but it's, it, it's, it's not always as straightforward um, of a conversation. It gets, it gets complicated re- really quickly there. So no, that sounds great. So it sounds like you'll be going back there. Yeah. I, uh, this first time I said, I've, I've been to over 90 countries now. I'd, I'd love to go everywhere at least once. Um, as I said, it's 45 degrees outside. Uh, the nice buildings are absolutely unbelievable, but the Four Seasons is incredible structure. But uh, there, there, there probably aren't as many of them around. Whereas uh, I think it's probably a bit more similar to, to the first time I went to Dubai was in two thousand, and I think it's yeah, there's going to be a lot of construction. And if you go to Dubai now, the the Palm, it's a, like is is an amazing place. Whereas uh, I think they've got a lot a lot of work to do on the construction, but they've obviously got a plan and a vision both to Riyadh and then um, yeah, obviously some futuristic cities they're looking at. Um, incredibly ambitious if they can pull it off it'll be uh it'll be quite impressive so is their plan basically i mean are, are they looking to develop esports within their country or globally uh, both so they have a huge focus on within their country um and it, 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 a lot of what they're saying was quite patriotic um but at the same time i think that they also want to be global players um and, and that's more economically so I think they want to develop their own teams and people and players and systems. Um, Falcon Esports has been a, quite, quite uh, successful on the, uh, the global stage. But yeah, at the same time, I think they want to, uh, again, diversifying from a, uh, an oil-based economy. They, they want game publishers. They want more tech startups. They want more um, happening uh, within Saudi, which will be drivers of, of um, uh, revenue in the future. And uh, I think it's, you're already seeing sort of studios and infrastructure re- relocate to the region um, and they're, Investing heavily to incentives to make that happen, but it's a it's a smart long term move. I anything that I hear about it over there is I don't hear hear any missteps. It sounds like they're they're they seem to be putting their money in in basically the right places and looking at it as a long term situation um, rather than just oh isn't this fun let's let's play games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Prince Faisal would have changed. It was basically like, we're going to do less talking and more walking, and that's what they're doing at the moment. But it's, again, it's a great, it's a great situation to be in when you've got actually all these free cash flows coming in from the the, uh, the oil business. Um, yeah, they're in a very unique position. So um, but yeah, they're they're playing smart in my view as far as taking a very very long term view. But um, yeah, there's many factors in the region that you need to uh, take into consideration. Yes. Yes, it it is it, 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 kind of like going back to getting an investment from from an investor. I mean, there's a responsibility with all that money. I mean, you, you're getting all that money in, but you've got to figure out what to do with it. You know, it's, it's a nice problem to have, but uh, it can be a problem. The last question that we always ask everyone here is, 
Um, the Olympics. Should esports be part of the Olympics? Why or why not? Essentially, this was actually at the uh, at the forum, and they had the person responsible in the Olympics for the digital sports there, which was which was fascinating because like, I've always had my very my very strong views, and he was wedged between someone from uh, uh, I, th- I think it was Chester King from um, uh, Global Esports Federation and UK Esports, and that and these are the guys I thought would be the cheerleaders, and uh, my my strong views has always been uh, the Olympics need esports more than the esports needs the Olympics, but yeah, they all stood up there and said no, no, it shouldn't be part of the uh, the Olympics, so. Oh, the guy from the more. Olympics was saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I thought, well, let's be, but but I, I'll, I'll caveat that not as part of the the, the core Olympics, but that there should be parallel events which make it a, a festival of traditional sports and esports. Um, but yeah, their their hard red line is that we know um, violent sports. So you, you'll never see Counter Strike or Call of Duty in the Olympics, um, uh, or even even associated events. But um, yeah. But their their view is something like um, a sports sims, so like sailing or something like that, will be part of the Olympics. But they're more digital versions of traditional sports, which don't really attract or resonate that much with the core esports community. Um, but um, similar to seen in the Commonwealth Games, there's, there's no reason there can't be a lead in uh, massive festival of, of esports and gaming, or um, e- even parallel um, to try and attract a, a younger demographic. So. Uh, I think you're going to see them doing more and more with um, esports and gaming, but it probably less so with a. It, you've got your 100 meters final um, uh, gold medalist standing on a podium, then next minute your your, your esports uh, FIFA player is walking up there collecting the same medal. But um, I, I think they see it as an incredibly important part of the strategy. But uh, I think finally everyone sat down together and realised, um, yeah, as we touched on earlier, the the uh, the publishers own the IP, um, so yeah, it's very difficult for you to, to suddenly yoink that. And uh, and uh, back when I was in sports controlled consulting, I helped write a um, strategy for Swimming Australia back in 2012, which was after a, a pretty poor London Olympics. And sort of what what came out of that was that um, from a commercial point of view, they, they lost the commercial rights for the more than four weeks or every every four year cycle, which was the Commonwealth Games and the, uh, the Olympics. So um, as, as a team owner or as a publisher. Um, why would I suddenly be handing my IP over to these guys, my players, my contracts, everything over to these guys to commercialise and make money off themselves? And yeah, I, I, I don't think we need the, the extra legitimacy or eyeballs from a, a, a one-off tournament at, at, at these events. Yeah, yeah. Reginald here has actually gotten us in, in touch with Vincent Piera there from uh, from the Olympics. Because yeah. one of the things that we wanted to talk to him about, and maybe we will at some point, was that if the Olympics comes in, if esports comes into the Olympics in any kind of fashion, just from a job standpoint, it, it, it will create so many jobs around the world. Because a lot of times what, what, especially here in the U.S., we don't really realize is what it takes all the, all the preparation, all the qualifications to get there yep. is, yeah. is just, just, um, amazing. Yeah. That, yeah. And this, this conversation they had actually resonated with my views as well. Like it's, it's, is it a sport or is it not? Is it an Olympics or is it not? It, it just doesn't matter. But what does matter is for government funding, support, and and everything around it. At the moment, there's a checkbox you need to to, to un- unlock that. And the, the the problem is because we're not in that traditional box. Um, the esports misses out on a lot of support, infrastructure, etc. So we we just need to create a new box that's just next to sport and next to Olympics, which means we can get government funding, support funding for pathways, etc. Um, to, to support the industry, um, 
but yeah, I, I think people are just being lazy, just trying to fit it into the the traditional sports or traditional Olympic box, which already does have its funding pathway sorted out. We just need a parallel pathway that, that makes sense because it just doesn't fit in the uh, in, in the current one. Yes, it, there's there's a roadmap there. All all people have to do is kind of uh, follow it. So yeah, because yeah, we've been talking to some people in Africa in particular that that I've had conversations with that you know there's so much money going into traditional sports funding from the government. And they're doing, trying to do just exactly what you're describing. It's like, how can we get, we don't want them to get less money. We just want to figure out how to get on a track to, to, um, to be able to get some funding for what it is that they're doing. So, Hey, this has been great. I mean, I, I can keep going. I respectful of your time there. Yeah. Um, I've got all day. I'm, well, I, I said my UK start day starts in a few hours, but I've, uh, yeah, I'm all good at the moment, but <laughs> No, 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 really appreciate your conversation here on, um, on investment because a lot of times, uh, you know, usually our audience, well, our audience is from around the world. A lot of times our guests are from around the world, around in emerging markets, but I just thought it was really interesting to have an opportunity to talk to you here in Australia. I, I, I do not consider Australia an emerging market. It's like, no, no, they're, yeah, I've got no excuse for making no money. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, but it's just, it's, it's really interesting, I think, for people to hear how investment has, has worked in esports for you. Because, and again, it, it's a really long conversation <clears throat> for people to, uh, to have with themselves and others. But hey, I really appreciate it. Where can people find you online? Uh, on LinkedIn, um, I think it's forward slash D Harris one. Um, but yeah, mainly Twitter is the best place. So, um, at Dave Harris Oz. So. The A V E H A W R I S A U S. Great. We'll put some we'll put some links in here when we uh, when we um, publish this episode. Dave, it's been a great conversation. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast, season two. Follow the money, play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed. Do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.